Good, good morning, gentlemen. I'm sorry to interrupt the lively table conversation. I, there was the seven-minute pause, and I got into a conversation, and I missed that seven-minute pause um, about three minutes ago. Um, so this morning, I'll take just a minute to do announcements. I've got to duck out some idiot, that would be me, planned a 10 a.m. flight out of Hartsville today to fly across the country. And um, my wife is waiting in the parking lot in the van. So if you see a van circling, that's for me. Um, so I want to thank this morning everybody for being here and being such good hosts. We have a few guests. Um, if it's your first time this morning and you're willing to draw attention to yourself by raising your hand, would you raise your hand if it's your first time this morning? All right, we've got one at almost every table. This is the newbie table, apparently. So if there's a hazing privilege or something that we have to go through, let this be this table. Um, two, two real quick announcements. First of all, this evening um, there is a gathering called the, I think it's called the Well. I believe I've got that right. And Melissa Mobley is going to be giving her testimony. You should invite your wife, your daughter, and if appropriate, your granddaughter, because her testimony this evening is going to be powerful. And it would be wonderful if the chapel were full of, of women who have been there, done that, or would like to hear from someone who has a, a very powerful testimony. So Melissa will be giving her testimony this evening at 7 o'clock in the chapel. All women are invited. No men, I believe, is the, the general rule of thumb, and there will be no bacon, just just to say. There will be no bacon. Yes, Barney? If the men need something current of those who... Oh, excellent. So if you need to facilitate getting a, someone here, and you're looking for something to do, where is that meeting at, Barney? This building, I think, it's in... All right, look at the, the, the TVs in the corner of all the hallways will always tell you where you can. Yeah, thanks you so much. Um, one other thing I'd like to do to recognize, Veterans Day is coming up this, this Sunday. If you are a veteran or you had a family member die in service, would you please stand? I think it is amazing the families that are giving around us that we may not even recognize under day-to-day -day conditions. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for your family service. Uh, this morning I have the pleasure to recognize and invite up to speak uh, Clark Miller. Um, Clark's life started off in a powerful way. He, I, I learned this as I was reading his bio, was also born in Silver Springs, Maryland. I was born in Silver Springs, and I've never met anybody else who was born in Silver Springs. And so, as I looked at that this morning, so we have that one thing in common. We started out in exactly, I wonder if it's the same hospital. Is there more than one hospital there? There are many hospitals? You were you were born in the Navy? Okay, I, there's, a, there's a story behind that. There um, is. I got to know Clark, um, I think I heard his name for the very first time a year ago. Eric Lee had gone up to Gingensburg. Gingensburg, how can you say that? Say that However, you want to say However it. I want to say it. That's great. Gingensburg, uh, because we were looking for ideas around Chapel Roswell, and they were visiting different churches around the country. And um, apparently we had a really big budget, so basically the church was not paying for hotel space for our, our visiting, and so they stayed in the homes of people who were at the church. I, I say that in jest. Um, and so that's how we got to know Clark. Eric stayed in his house because Clark's wife, Kim, Man, I got two things right in one day. That's amazing. Um, and it's early. And it's early. That was it. I, I'll be done by 730. Uh, and so they got to know each other under those conditions because your wife, Kim, was on staff at Gingensburg at the time. And so um, 
then Eric found out that uh, that that Clark was involved with Man in the Mirror. And uh, if you were did the Man in the Mirror activities about four or five years ago here at church, raise your hand, please. I know there are a couple of them. One, two, three, four, five, and I see Randy over here. Good, good. So um, in 2012, Clark joined Man in the Mirror, and now he is the area area director. Uh, for the Miami Valley Coalition for Men's Discipleship, and and I don't know exactly what all that means. You're going to explain a little bit of that, aren't you? I, I will. Oh, excellent, because I did a great job of it just then. He, he has a, a doctorate of, uh, uh, of ministry from, um, <coughs> da, 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 from Ashland Theological Seminary. That's a Methodist school. It's, <laughs> it's approved by the Methodists. That's great. And I think his number one accomplishment that he mentions here is... I, for over 47 years, he's been all about discipleship. He lives right now in, in Tip City, Ohio, with his wife, Kim, and they travel to Atlanta for, uh, they have uh, three kids and eight grandchildren. And I was hoping I was going to get to meet your son this morning. Uh, Two different meetings. I'll have to do that another time. <laughs> and his tagline here at the bottom of his bio says, and sometimes they travel here in their V6-powered MGB. Boy. Now, where is, where's Jim? This is a car guy, and I don't mean one car guy. I mean, like, car, car guy. He did? Yes? MGGM. All right, well, I, alphabet soup time here, guys. Well, with, uh, with no more introduction than that, I'm sure I've raised lots of questions and provided no meaningful answers. Oh, and I've got a lot, I'll correct a lot, too. Excellent. Well, now, you, now you've got something to do for approximately 30 minutes. Gentlemen, thank you for being here this morning. Give a warm welcome to Clark. I can't remember all the things I need to correct, Eric. Thanks. Uh, uh, on is off is good. Um, I I thought you said I had an hour. I, I planned for an hour. Sorry, guys. Uh, I am. You, you did have an hour. I just spent. Most you spent most of it with the introduction. Thanks very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm curious. I heard some terrible things, traditions. I wasn't thinking of the uh, tricks, uh, but a couple unique. Things, Halloween traditions, what are they that you heard? Trick or treat? The soaping windows. Okay. This is ministry. Take notes here. Some, some have not repented. I've heard uh, squirt guns with bleach in them. Uh, <laughs> it only lasted one year as far as Really? That's a great tradition. We switched out volleyball, put a liner in. Yeah. It's in their Okay, moving on. Uh, without the use of electronic devices, what's your guess of how much candy was purchased for Halloween? Any idea? Talking about then or now? Now. Dollars or six billion. Six billion? <laughs> One billion. Dollars or pounds? Is that <laughs> pounds or dollars? Dollars. Six billion dollars. Remember that. Okay, so actually traditions, let's go on. I'm I'm ahead of myself already. Um it started in 1916. The candy execs said, hey, we want to boost the pre-Christmas tradition. Uh, sales, so they had the fall holiday, and then they uh, combined it with uh, Halloween in 1940, and they gave out gifts, toys, and candy, and actually my granddaughters received gifts this year instead of candy from one person. Little coloring books, and I thought, how unique. Uh, that was special. That was, well, better than rotting teeth. This year, 600 million tons of candy were purchased in the United States. 
To give you an idea, the Titanic weighed 100 million tons. Does that give you an idea how much? Maybe gluttony? We also spent in excess of $9 billion on that 600 million tons of candy. Halloween for me, growing up, I had three goals. One is to get as much, to as many houses as I could, to get as much candy as I could, and then eat as much candy as I could as quickly as I could. And I think I heard that several places as well. Uh, it's not always the best results. In fact, the toilet uh, bowl in the front reminded me of some of the results that I got. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Proverbs 26.1 that says, like a dog who returns to its vomit is a fool who returns to its folly. You know, I did it every year. Got sick every year, but I did it once again every year. And past, in fact, past that time that it was okay for me to dress up, I still went out and got candy. And then I robbed off my two younger sisters. But Second Peter, Peter goes on to say, it's not only a dog who returns to its vomit, but a sow after washing returns to wallow in the mire. So you get the idea that it's not a very smart thing to do. And yet, guys, often... Uh, there's a difference between what we want to do and what we do. Uh, we have good intentions of not doing things, but yet we do them or not doing, doing them, and yet we don't do them. And what we call them is, and man in the mirror, is high-risk areas. And uh, I have target clerk there as a uh, high-risk area for me, and I'll explain that in a minute. But let me go back and correct and not correct, just fill in a couple uh, things that Eric did and didn't say to mislead you. Well, Eric and I met when he wasn't here at Roswell yet. So you can blame the, uh, the lack of funds for hotels on his previous church before Roswell, not on Roswell. And we developed a friendship, and when he came here, that's when he invited me to, uh, to be a part of it. Uh, it was early on in his uh, tenure here and then toward the latter part of his tenure here been working to uh, what Man in the Mirror does is we're an organization that's been around 35 years. Uh, we used to have people go down to Orlando, uh, Florida for training to learn how to do discipleship for men, a men's ministry. And uh, we said, hey, we can do that better. So in 19 or 2016, we started putting area directors out in the field. And uh, so people could, the area directors could work directly with, uh, with churches. So I was one of the first area directors. And then as we grew, uh, we needed regional directors to help the area directors. And I became one of the first area, uh, regional directors. And now I was telling somebody that my region is very small. It's uh, from Lake Erie to the Gulf to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, just a small territory. But uh, it's exciting to see guys uh, working with churches and churches responding and getting men involved in small group discipleship uh, ways with the, where the Holy Spirit engages them uh, in growth opportunities. So what we deal with sometimes is the high-risk areas of our life, and they can come in all areas, all kinds of ways. We all have high-risk areas, and another way to say it is that we're all sinners. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Anybody disagree with that? Okay, so if we say that we have high-risk areas, that we all have this propensity to sin or to, uh, to not show or emulate the, uh, the likeness of Jesus our Lord, those are our high-risk areas. And one time when we were at uh, um, Target, I th you have Targets down here, so uh, maybe the clerks are just like they are in Ohio. This one was particularly slow and didn't get my, my, uh, my stuff going through very quickly and 
didn't do it correctly a couple times, didn't count the right change. And I was visibly upset because I was in a hurry. You know, it was a quick stop and my wife was with me. And on the way out, all my wife said was, you know, God loves her too. And I realized that that was a high risk area for me with people who aren't very efficient and who slow me down. That That's an area that I needed God's love. And uh, later on, um, oh, I'll share that a bit. Oh, there's a bell up here. Um, so we all have those high-risk areas. Uh, a lot of us, it might be pornography or drinking uh, or other things, uh, but we all have high risk. Are, are you with me on that? Let's go on. Uh, my journey is that I grew up in the church, and I grew up in a Methodist church, and uh, I know all the flannel graph stories. I could match any of them with you. Uh, but the one thing that I missed that, that was never explained to me in my Methodist church is why Jesus died. I knew he was born on Christmas. I knew he died on Easter. I even know that he knew that he rose from the grave, but I didn't know why he died. And it wasn't until I uh, went to college um, and somebody uh, at college, I don't know about you in your experience, if you had a college experience. The first night of college, uh, I found myself in a dorm room and about six guys, a bag of hash and a water pot. And I said, no, I think I'm going to just watch tonight, maybe next week. Well, next week I didn't go back. I, I went out and got drunk the next week and the following weekend too. And it was like I was having all these experiences. And at the same time, there were a group of guys in my dorm room who had something. They were different. You could tell that they were different. Uh, they had a peace about themselves. They had a, uh, a confidence. And they just, how can I say it? They had a love that I didn't see anywhere else. And I said, you know, that's attractive. So they took me to a, a place, a coffee house, and uh, Bob Bronson was singing and sharing his faith. And when he said, Jesus died for your sins, he died for my sins, then it made sense. Then I had a decision. To, and I went and found a lonely place, and I said, you know, Lord, if, if you died for my sins, I have one of two choices. That's it. I can either serve you unreservedly with my life, or I can ignore you. And I don't know why, but I chose, well, I do know why, I, I chose to follow him. This is what I don't know. I don't know why this introverted person said, if I ever have an opportunity to speak and to give you honor, I will do that. Well, it's kind of like saying, I'll never be a missionary to Africa. Uh, this introvert is now speaking to you. You know, when I was in 17, I couldn't have done that. Uh, I've also been a missionary to Africa. Um, so in our dorm room, Instead of going to lunch, uh, we sat around and studied the Bible. Uh, one of the guys took me to a bookstore, bought a Bible, and I still read that on a daily basis. And we started praying with each other and reading and growing. Best experience, but it was a foundation for a life of discipleship. Uh, I've been growing in my faith for 47 years now, uh, teaching others life application of the Scripture and how to have a relationship with God and what that relationship does to alter things like dealing with the clerks at Target and our higher risk areas. So a uh, fundamental question is, what or who is a disciple? Uh, I was actually working with one church, and they stopped me as I was talking about discipleship, and he said, what's a disciple? And I thought, mm, okay, in your tradition, you don't deal with that. Maybe we don't deal with that enough. A disciple is a learner, or a pupil, or a follower. And there was a Jewish saying that may the dust of your rabbi's sandals cover your feet, the disciples' feet. In other words, that you're walking so close to your rabbi that everything that he does, thinks, uh, believes, rubs off on you. 
Now, Jesus was called the rabbi, the teacher. So a disciple is one who walks so closely to Jesus that his thoughts are your thoughts. His actions are your actions. Um, when he called the disciples, he called the, the flunkies. Uh, at age 13, uh, men were bar mitzvahed in the Jewish tradition. And if they had what it took to be a rabbi, to be a, a disciple of the rabbi, they would go on in their training. If they didn't have what it took, they went back to their, their family tradition. Well, if you look at the scripture, all of the disciples were the flunkies. They didn't make it when they were 13. They went back to the family tradition. And it got to the point where uh, he chose them, and they said, of course I'm going to follow you. I'm finally chosen. I'm seen as a, as a potential for the rabbi. And a couple of things that are really unique, when Peter walked on the water, when he got out of the boat, uh, I'll make the sh story short, Jesus was walking on the water in the storm. Everybody was scared. They thought it was a ghost. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, permit me to come out of the boat. And Jesus said, basically, it's me. Come. Come out of the boat. I believe that you can do what I'm doing. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water. And I know we've all heard stories about that. But the bottom line is that he got all the, his attention off the fact that Jesus believed in him enough that he could do it that he could walk on the water. It's Yes, he got his eyes distracted, the waves, the sea, and all those things, just you know, pulled him down. But Jesus said, I believe you can do what I'm doing. Get out of the boat and come. In fact, he said, when I go to the Father, I'm going to send a son or the Spirit, and greater things will you do than I have done. Now, when you think of what Jesus has done, and he says, greater things will we do than he's done, wow, that's pretty powerful. And that kind of says where we are maybe in our lives, too. But he called, equipped, and then sent the disciples uh, in 2 Timothy 3. And in Romans 6, I love this passage, that we who have uh, partnered with him in the resurrection of his, or his death, have buried with him, just as he was risen from the grave, we too are risen from the grave. From all those, the sin is buried. We've been risen from the dead, and we should walk in the likeness of Christ's resurrection. Um, and then he says that the greatest commandment is that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, pretty powerful. Uh, and Paul says, again, and this is what I was saying with the target uh, lady, in Ephesians, I read this a couple weeks ago, and it just hit me that Paul said, we're stewards of God's grace. How powerful is that? That I am God's steward, that I'm steward of God's grace. You're the steward of God's grace. And, you know, there are, there are several passages, uh, parables in the, the, uh, the New Testament about the, the good stewards and the bad stewards. And, and that's up for us, you and me, to decide uh, where we want to be. <clears throat> Let me distract myself here. This is where my mind goes. But has anybody seen the uh, Mr. Rogers movie? I love it. I love it when uh, his wife was being interviewed. And he said, she said, at the tail end, he turned to her and said, do you think I'm a sheep? His greatest desire was to be a sheep and not a goat, knowing that he would soon meet the Lord. And the scripture says that the, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, and he wanted to be a sheep. And part of that is how we are stewarding God's grace. Just something to, to think about here. So the, what I found is I've been working with churches since uh, 1980, and what I found in the church that there is often a gap between what is said and what is believed and reality, what's actually done. And that's a little bit too soon. Let me go back. 
And what you saw was this, and I'll go ahead and play it. This is the best description. I can't do that. Hang on. This is the best description of what I think the men particularly deal with. <clears throat> you, you can listen to what Ryan says, but also read what Ryan says. Hey, I'm Ryan. I'm a Christian, and this is my story. Growing up, I've never missed going to church. When I was 12, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was even baptized. It undoubtedly was a very important decision. It even affected how I lived in high school. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I had fun on the weekends. I had a girlfriend, a couple. But I was a normal high school kid. College was one big blur. But I did make it to church out of obedience. And after school, I married a great girl. And she's been a great influence on me. Life's been good. I have a house, three kids. I couldn't ask for more. I mean, sure, I worry about my future. I mean, my marriage, it could be better. And I need to spend more time with my kids. But, but things will be all right. I have my faith. You may not hear me talk about it a lot. But it's just because it's personal. But don't worry for me. My Jesus is real. Does that hit you guys? I, I can relate to that. That we say one thing and we do another thing. That we believe one thing and do another thing. And I work with men all the time who inside, well, if I've got this right, uh, no, uh, we, uh, we often use the Christian F word, word uh, the four-letter Christian F word. Uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. How you really doing? And if you press them and lean into them, most of us aren't doing really fine. In fact, uh, this is a man in the mirror is strange like this. They won't let us say anything that's not backed up statistically. So I can give you the, the, the sources for all these figures. But for men, uh, we found that for every 10 men in church, all 10 struggle to balance work and family, and particularly when you throw faith in there. Nine of us will watch at least one of our children walk away from the church. And I could tell you about one of my sons who lives around the corner, who uh, for a time left the church. I thought I'd lost him. Uh, took him on a mission trip to Czech Republic. And uh, uh, maybe I shouldn't go into too much detail. He's in your neighborhood. But uh, there was a point where he decided he wasn't coming back. He lived there, married somebody there, and uh, I'll stop there. Um, all to say that he has come back home now, and uh, he is following the Lord. And this dad rejoiced when my prodigal son came home. He grew up in the church, uh, and yet he wrestled with his faith. And uh, the wrestling finally came to a head where he finally de rededicated his life to the Lord. Um Eight of us don't find our job satisfying, and I really think that that's uh, because that we don't understand that God has given us and allowed us to have that job, and it has financial boundaries, and we need to live within those financial boundaries, and then also that that's the exact place that he wants us to be salt and light, to share God's grace, to be the good steward of God's grace in that place. And if we understood that, I think that we would wake up with a different attitude. Now, realistically, and this is uh, not making a judgment call, but I think a lot of us in this room may have ended our career by now. And uh, you can think back to where you were or what opportunities you have now in your daily, daily life of finding joy by finding the, the purpose that God has created for us. Six pay the monthly minimum on our credit card balances. And a lot of the churches and a lot of ministries are hurting because of that because of self-indulgement and entitlement and uh, the in, uh, use of, inappropriate use of funds. Um, five out of ten men in the church have a major problem with pornography. 
Now, let's get honest. If we have an electronic device, we're exposed to it. The trouble is, or the question is, how long do we stay or how much do we seek it out? And five out of 10 have a major problem. I've seen statistics saying seven out of 10, and I've seen statistics saying three out of 10 are lying. <laughs> Four marriages will end in divorce. In the church, four marriages will end in divorce, impacting the lives of a million children a year. Now, the divorce rate is actually coming down in, in the United States. I don't know if you know that. Uh, the reason it's coming down is that couples are deciding not to marry, just to live to each other, with each other. So the divorce rate proportionately is going to higher in the church, but lower in our society. That's another uh, editorial. But out of those, uh, the collateral damage of that is that there are uh, 120 million men 15 years or older, 73 million men who don't know Christ, 61%. Um, 6,000 or 6 million men are in a discipleship. Uh, you guys are have a sports team here, uh, something Falcons, or what, what's the baseball, the Braves, Braves. Uh, if the Braves got on the field uh, with an opponent, there are how many, I'm not a sports guy, how many guys are there on the field at the time? Nine, uh, double it's 18. So if one out of 18 knew the rules of how to play the game, and you may think that anyway, um, but then throw the ball out and say play ball, think of what kind of chaos that would be. And that's what this is. One out of 18 men are discipled and know how to live a Christ-centered life. And think of the chaos that we have. In the Miami Valley, where I, where I live, uh, is the fifth largest area for sex trafficking in the United States. Atlanta is right up there too, in a, in a high area. Now, there wouldn't be sex trafficking if there wasn't what? A market. Sex. Well, maybe. A market. And what's driving the market? Men. One out of 18 are discipled. <coughs> Let that sink in a little bit. The ripple effect is this. There are 73 million children under the age of 18. Tonight, 36% of them will go to bed in a home without their biological father. In fact, if a child is born today, by the time they're six years old, 46% of them will not be living in a home with their biological father. And two years after a divorce, 40% of those children have no contact with their dad. Now, let's go on with the ripple effect. Out of the 24 million children, a third of the uh, children live in homes with a, no biological father. He's absent. Out of those comes 63% of youth suicide, 70% of youths in state-operated institutions, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of adolescents in chemical abuse centers, 85% of children with behavioral, with behavioral disorders, 85% of youth in prison. How are men doing? If we have the kind of stuff that we're having happen, go back upstream, and it all comes back to the men. So Man in the Mirror is all about getting the men right. Uh, I already shared this, so we'll keep on going. Uh, if we get... Ah, let me, let me go back before I say that. Pat Morley, uh, who is the founder of Man in the Mirror, uh, said men basically feel like um, that I'm in this alone, in this life alone. God doesn't know me or what I'm going through. No purpose. Uh, they're involved in some sort of destructive behavior. Their soul is dry, and the most important relationships are not healthy, and I've missed the last one. But our system is perfectly designed to get the results we're getting. Uh, if GM, we, Dayton is a big uh, GM supplier, uh, or it was before the uh, 
everything went out overseas. But if the fender fell off of a car, every third car, they wouldn't just deal with putting the fender back on on every third car. They'd go back upstream to see why it's falling off to begin with. And in the same way in the church, if we're having these kind of results, we need to go back and say, okay, what? go back upstream and say, what is the problem? If we have all these uh, pregnancies, uh, unwanted pregnancies, abortions, uh, sex trafficking, go back upstream. And it all comes back to the man. And I hate to say it, man, but it all comes back to us. So our systems are perfectly designed to get the results we're, we're getting. So to get different results, you need to change the system, change, do things differently. And to get it right, we need to start with the men. And if we get the men right, we'll get the marriages right. And if we get the marriages right, we'll get the family right. And if we'll get the family right, we'll get the churches right. And if we get the churches right, then we'll get the world right. And it will impact those around us. Uh, I saw one political cartoon that said, uh, it's not whether we're an elephant or a donkey, but do we belong to the Lamb, the Lamb of God? And that's, that should be our greatest identity uh, of all. And Pat Morley, again, the founder of MIM, uh, Man in the Mirror, said the only way out is to disciple our way out. How much time do I have? I have another hour. Uh, about five minutes. Oh, good, good. Uh, our tagline is that we help churches create an environment with the Holy Spirit inspires men to engage on life-on-life discipleship. It's hard to, to hide when it's one-on-one, but yet when it's one-on-one or one-on-small group, that's exactly what we need to, to grow. In fact, uh, right now, uh, one of my groups, men's groups up in Ohio, just let out. Uh, we meet, uh, <laughs> it's kind of ironic, we meet in a gynecologist's office. Uh, our, our men's leader is a uh, gynecologist, and uh, he opened up his office for us, and uh, every week we, uh, we meet. And there's one point where a 73-year-old successful auto dealer broke down and said, you know what, I've been carrying this since I was about seven years old. But when I was seven, my five-year-old sister was raped. And he had been carrying that for almost six, seven decades and how that affected him. Another fellow said, you know, you, you hear me talk about my mom all the time. My mom and dad were married for 50 years, but for 49 years of those, uh, 49 years of those years, he was a drunk. He's an alcoholic, and I, I was raised by an alcoholic dad and talked about how that influenced him. And in talking about it, it cut it in half, and he started to heal from that those wounds. Good stuff. Um, the United Methodist Church says the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation, should be for, for the transformation of the world. Local churches and extension ministries provide the most significant arenas through which disciple-making occurs. One of the, uh, the agencies that uh, United Methodist has is United Methodist Men, and I'm not pushing that. I'm just saying that United Methodist Men use Man in the Mirror's material as their foundation for this next generation of United Methodist Men. And there are several pockets in, in, the, uh, in my region that are really taking hold of using our No Man Left Behind principles to radically transform the, the shape of the men in their churches. Uh, in fact, one of the guys, this is just an aside, but he has a brown bag lunch that he gets on a Zoom call every every week, Thursday at noon, and he's discipling other pastors in the Ohio Valley. Pretty exciting. Uh, often we get it backwards in the church, though. We make workers and we pray for disciples. But the scripture says that we're to make disciples and then pray for workers. Because if we make disciples, then they'll be, they'll be serving 
out of their giftedness and the filling of the Spirit rather than just come to Jesus and here's how you serve. Come to Jesus and here's how you serve. Well, eventually their service will be uh, just routine and they'll lose interest. But if they're serving out of a, if we're serving out of a discipleship heart, then that there'll be intentional purpose for why we're discipling or why we're serving. Do you know who said this? Give me 100 men who fear nothing but God, hate nothing but sin, and are determined to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. And I care not a straw whether they be clergy or lay. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Sound familiar? You're cheating. You know. Anybody else sound familiar? Oh, that's a good guess. John Wesley said that, the founder of uh, Methodism. He had a thing called the uh, Band of Brothers, or small group uh, discipleship group. And it's interesting, uh, to my understanding, he didn't study the Bible in those groups. What he did was say, rather, as you studied the Bible this week and you come together, what was God telling you? What was God showing you? And they'd share and rejoice in that. How have you shared your faith this week? How have you prayed with your wife this week? Knowing uh, what known sins have you committed since our last meeting? How, how were you delivered? What, uh, what have you thought, said, or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? Have, any of the, have you anything you desire to keep secret? And something that I like to add to, to John, he probably would have if he had thought about it, have you lied in any of your answers above? <laughs> Guys, we're good at hiding, and we're good at hiding from ourselves. And it's only as we become honest with ourselves and our God that we can find the freedom that Christ came to set us free from and the sins that, that weigh us down or, or wrestle with us, those high-risk areas of our life, when we deal with those and when we, when we find freedom, um, we are set free, as Galatians says. And it's interesting that um, to, a, to a third grader, a sixth grader is a genius in math. So you may not think that you are, you've overcome a lot, but to somebody else, you are a spiritual giant. And there's, there's, that's the, the unique, uniqueness of the body of Christ, where we can, when we're together and we can feel free and open to share those things, we can come together and encourage and pray for one another. Um, and that's, that's some of the beauty, and time won't allow me to share some of the stories. But I do want to share this in uh, the last remaining minutes that I have. The Great Commission is Matthew 28. Uh, it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And we may have heard it, but I love this because there's a therefore there. And any time there's a therefore, I always ask, what's the therefore therefore? And it's a transitional statement, and there, it's therefore because all authority has been uh, in heaven and on earth has been given me to Jesus. But it's also at the end of the book of Matthew, which means it goes, it's a conclusion. It goes back to the very beginning of the book of Matthew, which is a genealogy. And the genealogy goes back to the time of Abraham, and there's a genealogy that goes back to the very uh, creation of the, the ends of the earth, Adam and Eve. So what Matthew is saying here, since creation, since the creation of the earth, since Adam and Eve, and all the way through the, the prophets and the kings, and through the uh, birth, the virgin birth, and through the, uh, the baptism of Jesus, through the miracles, healings, parables, teachings of Jesus, through the death and the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection, uh, because all authority has been given me, therefore, and the English doesn't give that justice. The go says, because you have had this encounter with this Jesus, you will be compelled to go 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and training them and teaching them to observe, teaching them to observe. We know it, but we need to observe those things that Jesus has taught us, how to be God's steward or steward of God's grace, of God's love, of God's mercy, even to the target checkout lady, to our high risk area. What I found is that there is a God who is and a God we want, and the two are not the same God. And we need to center and find out who that God is that really is. Jesus said, you are mistaken. And he said this to the Pharisees, you are mistaken and do not know the power of God or the scripture. And that's what we try to create in Man in the Mirror, an environment where they know the power of God and the scripture. I can't remember how much further I go on here, so thanks for, for being patient with me. Uh, man in the Mirror is to help churches, I've already said this, uh, to engage every man in, your, in, in churches, a church, with the credible offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as the resources and opportunities. And this is just a kind of a result in the last 12 months. Uh, and we have 100 area directors, but there are 50 full-time. And we looked at those 50 and said, we have engaged this year in 758 churches. And the average, and this is like a very, very conservative average of 25 men have actively involved in a discipleship group as a result of those 50 men, which is 18,950 men taking a step forward in their faith. And over half of them have never been in a discipleship group before. So they've started a journey of faith as a result. So as you can tell, I am a little bit passionate about this. I've been doing it for 47 years. My doctorate of ministry was how to create a, a discipleship model for the revitalization of a church. And as a pastor, I had seen uh, churches grow anywhere from 23 to 500% uh, by discipling the leaders who would then disciple other men who would disciple their family. And I'm sold on discipleship as I think Jesus left us with that great commission to go and disciple. Um, I'm going to just keep on going. There's great stuff here. And I am I can show you my first animation. It'll take a minute. Do I have time to show you my first animation? This is my first animation ever on uh, Keynote. Uh, but if God is up here, and if this is us or me, sin is blocking that flow. But Christ has come to set us free. That's why he died on the cross, uh, to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the, the love, the mercy, the grace of God begins to flow us up. Well, it's so foreign to us that sometimes we shut it off and we don't get filled up as much as we can. Um, stuff interrupts the flow. We stop uh, seeking God as much. And when that happens, we start to dry up inside. And nothing can grow if that happens and our life with Christ begins to diminish. Now, if we, being filled up, live out of that and are so excited, sometimes we leak out. And that, that excitement for our faith leaks out to others, but we never get filled up. So we never really experience the fullness or the joy of God in our lives, the fullness. But if we are able to close off that high-risk area of our life, and even as a child of God, as a man of God, we have those high-risk areas. If we're able to close those off, then this is the beautiful. This is the beauty right now. That as God overflows into us, we'll not serve out of the need, but we'll be able to serve out of the overflow, and we'll start to be able to pour into another man's life. And as he follows that same pattern, he'll be able to pour into another man's life. And the, it goes on and on and on. This is true discipleship, uh, that your, your contagious love of the Spirit of God within you spills out to other people. And to the effect that down the road, 
there will be other people, not just God, but there will be other people who are filled up with God, who start pouring back into your life. And that's a discipleship process. And that's what the man in the mirror is attempting to do, is create the environment where that happens in churches. So that's in short uh, who I am, what I'm about, and what we challenge uh, churches across the nation to do. I'd like to ask you to do two action steps. One is, there, uh, actually three, there's a sign-up sheet on your uh, table. You signed up already, but if you're interested in, in learning more about Man in the Mirror, if you're interested in being a Man in the Mirror representative in this area, I'm looking for, that's one of the things that I do down in this area. I'm trying to recruit some other area directors, uh, or you can sign up there. But what I'd like you to do in pairs, and this is just a real short thing, but if you could share how you are doing in your own personal high-risk area. Now, I, I don't want you to share your personal high-risk area. You can if you want to, but I'm not asking you to. I'm just asking you, besides the word fine, how are you doing in your personal high-risk area? And then I'd like you to the other, the other person to pray for that, and then vice versa. How are you doing in your personal high-risk area? And this is, can be very, very threatening, but by not sharing exactly what that is, that's okay. And I don't know if you've ever prayed out loud before or ever prayed with another man before, but men of God do that. And everybody's doing it, and I'd like you to invite invite you to join everybody to do that. The second action step is, I already did that, how to grow in your faith. If you'd like to know how to grow in your faith, if you're interested in leadership and ministry to men at uh, Roswell United Methodist or more about Man in the Mirror, uh, write down your name. <coughs> and connect. So it's your time. Uh, when you're done, you're done. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, actually, you didn't. Eric did. Uh, and then he left. I don't know what that's about. Uh, but if you could take a few minutes, share how you're doing in your personal high-risk area, and then have the other person pray, pray for them. Okay?